Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Holy God, we do pause now as we give uh, thanks for your presence among us as we share in the reading and hearing of Scripture. We know these texts well, the beginning verses of Genesis, the story of John and Jesus' baptism. Though we are familiar with these texts, may they still be alive with your spirit. May you be speaking to us through these words of Scripture. May you help us to see ourselves as you see us within these stories. Holy God, we give thanks for all that is behind us over the past few weeks and months. What a busy and joyful season it has been here at the church. We give thanks for the opportunity together today on this first Sunday of the new year as we refocus and recommit ourselves and begin together again to worship and to follow you with 2024 ahead of us. God, may all we do today as we sing and fellowship, as we pray, as we read scripture, as we prepare to remember our baptism and come to the Lord's table, may all of these acts of worship serve to shape and reshape us according to your will. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Nick Hardwick, Nick Hardwick uh, told his wife, uh, take all of the money that we have saved up, be sure to care for yourself and for our children. Uh, I'm going to take $1 million, I'm going to go to Nicaragua, and I don't think I'll ever come home. Nick Hardwick was in a very depressed and dark state in his life. He couldn't imagine any future for himself. He had a happy spouse, he had healthy children, he had plenty of, of money, he had all the successes that the world would define as such, and yet he couldn't imagine going forward. Now Nick Hardwick may not mean a whole lot to you, but I'll give you a picture to give you some idea of what we're dealing with here. Nick Hardwick was an offensive lineman in the NFL for the San Diego Chargers for 11 years. That's a pretty long NFL career. Most careers are only three or four years. He played center. He was in the Pro Bowl. He made quite a bit of money. He saved his money. Everything seemed to be going well, and he came to the time in his life where NFL athletes retire. When he retired, when he played, he weighed a little over 300 pounds, as most offensive linemen do, and immediately upon his retirement, he lost 85 pounds. 85 pounds, and not in an entirely healthy way. That retirement for him brought a, a loss of identity. He talks openly about this. It, it brought a, a loss of purpose, a, a loss of community. I mean, all of these teammates and coaches whom he had spent so much time with over the years, that was suddenly gone, right? Uh, playing this game, trying to defeat an opponent, opponent, that sense of identity, that was suddenly gone, right? And even his body, which he had trained, right, to eat five, 6,000 calories a day, to lift weights, to perform, to be big and bulky, that was gone, right? And he really struggled to the point of depression, to the point of not really having a, a future, really kind of lost himself. It's a fascinating story. His is, is one of, among many, uh, uh, captured in a, a long-form sports essay this week about Pablo Torre talking about particularly NFL athletes and particularly offensive linemen, the transition they go through when they retire, the spiritual, emotional, also the physical transition, the way in which they've trained their bodies and the way in which they have to untrain their bodies. And Nick Hardwick is one of those individuals. In fact, he's kind of the face of this, of this challenging season for many of them. 
He celebrates now, of course, that he came through that time and he's kind of found a new purpose, a new identity. He works as a, a coach uh, and a teacher and a guide for other people who are going through similar transitions in life, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, trying to help them see the light and see the future despite the circumstances that are before them. I think it's such an odd group uh, to think about NFL offensive linemen and the way in which their bodies change as they retire and the way in which that maybe bring some self-identity crisis to them. It makes them seem much more sort of human, right? Not just these big bulking figures who push other people around for a living, but real human people who have something interesting going on inside themselves. In fact, one of the people who were interviewed for the article talked about that transition and talked about how hard it was to say goodbye to that old self and that old person and to try to become someone new. Now, the reason that this article, of course, was available this week is because uh, this is the new year. It's the first week of January, right? And in the first week of January, many of us are trying to reorient our lives, trying to refocus ourselves, recommit to certain disciplines, new year, new you, often including uh, more exercise and healthier uh, dieting, healthier meals and food. And so this article, of course, gets a lot of attention this time of the year. How do we create a new self, a new identity in this new year? I'll remind you today of the awkwardness in those first couple of verses of Genesis, right? Now, you probably have the English version somewhat memorized. You've heard it so many times. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. A wind swept over the face of the waters. The earth was a formless void. That translation there is sort of our best attempt to capture this Hebrew phrase that I put on the screen there for you, tohu vavohu. Right? Isn't that a great word? Tohu vavohu. You can learn that today. That's what Genesis says in the beginning about whatever was out there, right? In the beginning, there was tohu vavohu. And we don't have a great translation for that. That's a weird, ancient Hebrew phrase. And as best as we understand it, it, it just means chaos and emptiness, right? There was chaos and emptiness swirling about out there, out of control. And God enters in to the chaos and to the emptiness and, and speaks into it and begins to give it some shape and some definition. Right? This is the first, first lesson in the Bible, right? And you really don't have to search very hard here to find a sermon pretty quickly, right? Uh, in the chaos and emptiness of our lives, when things feel like a formless void, when things are spiraling out of control, uh, God is the one who has the power to step into that chaos and to, and to bring some structure and some order, to bring forth light and dark, and of course all the days of creation as we go on to read them in Genesis. This is the first lesson in the Bible, right? When everything was spiraling out of control, God was the one who stepped in and gave it the definition that we now come to know and appreciate as creation. Tohu vavohu, right? Now, I hope you sense as we're reading the, the, the themes from Genesis 1 echoing with the lesson from Mark 1. Um, we always read the story of Jesus' baptism here in the new year uh, because it's, it's kind of the first story we have about Jesus, right? 
Now, in Luke, we get that one weird story where, where Mary and Joseph lose middle school Jesus at the temple, right? So if you have a parent have ever lost your child, you're not alone, right? Even Mary and Joseph lost their child at church of all places, right? It happens. That's really the only story we get, though, about Jesus from his, his birth. Uh, middle school Jesus gets lost at the temple, and then we get Jesus' baptism, And so we're kind of moving along in the story from Christmas, which was just a couple of weeks ago, uh, up until today. This is the next chapter in the story. Now, we read about John the Baptist at the beginning of Advent, and we always begin Advent in that way. John the Baptist is in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. uh, make Make the mountains low. Make the valleys high. Make a highway in the desert. Confess your sins and repent. Prepare the way for the Lord. And so as we read again today, people came to him. All these people came out to the wilderness, out to the countryside, to the Jordan River to be baptized. Right? And presumably they were coming because of what John said, right? To confess their sins, to be forgiven, to be made whole. I, I think there's kind of a, a new year, new you sort of thing going on here with these baptisms. Wanting to leave their past behind, wanting to be a different person. And so they come to John and they're baptized, right? Now, we didn't read this part in Advent, but of course we read it today. Uh, as long as those people were coming out, to Je- uh, coming out to John and the baptisms continued, uh, Jesus himself goes out to be baptized. Now, that should ring with us a little bit odd. John is preaching the baptism for forgiveness, the, the baptism that involves confession of sin. And then Jesus, who we understand to be whole and perfect and sinless, uh, comes out to John to be baptized. That's sort of an odd thing, Right? Now, Mark's telling of the story is very, very thin, right? We just get a few lines. We don't get a lot of explanation, right? Jesus comes out to be baptized. It says as he went down into the water that the heavens were torn up, the skies were torn apart, right? And that there was a dove near to Jesus, and and, and the dove represents the Spirit. And then the voice spoke down from heaven, This is my Son, my beloved. This is God's Son with whom I am well pleased. Just a few verses with very little explanation. And so we're left to wonder here at this first Sunday of the new year, if Jesus, who was sinless and perfect, goes out to be baptized by John, who's baptizing people for the, for the forgiveness of sin, what, what's going on here? Why does Jesus do this? Well, one thing that we always want to recognize and draw attention to is, right, in Jesus' baptism, we get this unique uh, display and celebration of, of the Holy Trinity, right? Oftentimes when we're reading the Bible, we're seeing one of the persons of the Trinity. We might see the Holy Spirit at work in a unique way. Of course, we read the stories of Jesus. We might think of God the Father involved in certain aspects of the stories of the Bible. But here we have all three, right? Jesus the Son is being baptized. The Spirit is present in the dove. And then God the Father is speaking down. So it's kind of the full picture of who God is present in this moment. And while the full picture of God is present, it's uniquely revealing Jesus, Maybe John the Baptist, his cousin, was wondering what exactly is going on with Jesus. Maybe the crowds around there were wondering what's so special or unique about Jesus. And here we get an explanation. This is God's Son. It's God's Son. And so what does God's Son do to begin his his public ministry? He goes out to the muddy waters of the Jordan River out there with these sinful, broken people who are wanting a a new life and wanting to be healed and forgiven. He goes out there with them and joins them in the waters, joins them in their need for confession and repentance, becomes one with them, despite him not needing to be forgiven himself. It's a remarkable picture, right, that this is the way God's Son would begin 
God's ministry, not with some big showy celebration, not with some big party or parade, but, but right here in the muck and the mire and the brokenness of humanity. This is what God's Son chooses to do. These people who need to be forgiven, who need to be healed, these people who want a new life, Jesus partners with them in this moment. And you'll remember, if we kept reading a little bit more, that the next thing that Jesus does is that he's, he's sent out into the desert where he's tempted by Satan. Of course, that comes in Lent here in a few weeks. But, but Jesus is going to go forth and be tempted by the same sorts of sins and temptations that many of us face. And so, so we see here in Jesus' baptism, he's really partnering with humanity. Right? In all of their frailness and their brokenness and their shortcomings, Jesus is getting as low as possible in the baptismal waters, in the muddy waters of the Jordan River, to be one with the people. The chaotic waters of creation, the chaotic waters of the Jordan River. You can see some echoes from Genesis where Jesus, where God speaks over those chaotic waters and takes the, the chaos, the tohu vavohu, and, and gives it shape and form. And then now here in Mark 1, we've got the, the waters of sin and forgiveness where Jesus enter in, enters in and God speaks in and says, this is my son, my beloved, and, and begins to give this, this idea of baptism some shape and some form. As I was thinking about chaotic waters this week, uh, my mind immediately went to the, to the Spring River. Uh, many of you have been to the Spring River on many occasions. Some of you may even have cabins or, or vacation places up there. Of course, you know the Spring River is very cold. It's fed by a spring. It's cold year-round. And, and there are parts of it that are a little bit treacherous, right, some, some rapids and whatnot. Uh, the first time we went to the Spring River, I think I was in, like, middle school, fifth or sixth grade. We took a church group, right, to float the Spring River. That was not necessarily the best idea, right? A lot of us were first-timers that day. Uh, me and my brother, my younger brother, were in a canoe with dad, and of course, as it happens with almost everyone, right, we came to one of those parts of the river uh, where we lost control, uh, we tip, tipped over, and things turned very chaotic very quickly. Uh, I can remember still that cold, violent rush, right? Uh, when you're hot and warm in the sun in the summer, and then you're in that cold water immediately, your body and your brain do not know how to function, Right? Uh, I remember that, that feeling pretty scary. Of course, I was young. Dad was a good swimmer. We had on life jackets, but still, Dad was trying to grab us and get us over to the bank and trying to catch the canoe and get the paddles and all those things. Uh, a lot of other people were laughing and having a good time, but uh, it was not a good time for us in that moment. It felt pretty scary. Dad still tells that story today, right, that he, he was pretty concerned there for a few seconds to get us all safe and sound again. Of course, you can see that that's really obviously a metaphor for life, right? A sunny, beautiful day, we're canoeing, we're enjoying ourselves. And just as quickly as we think we have things under control, uh, things spill. And the cold water rushes in and the chaos overwhelms. Of course, there have been lots of beautiful, relaxing days on the water as well. Uh, many canoe trips that went smoothly, right? Opportunities to swim and, and boating activities on Greer's Ferry or Norfolk, many days on the the beach on the Gulf Coast. Those are the calming waters of creation, and that's, of course, the way we prefer it. This is sort of the work of God in the beginning, in the story of creation. This is sort of the work of Jesus in baptism, taking the waters of chaos and fear and anxiety and, and sort of converting them to waters of calm and care. Uh, taking what is unstructured, what is all over the place, what is flowing wildly, and, and giving it shape and, and form. This is what God does in Genesis, and this is what Jesus does in his baptism as he extends that ministry 
unto us. Today, on this um, first Sunday of the new year, uh, I suspect that you are, are thinking something about what's before you in the coming year. Uh, I, I like doing that as well. Uh, the end of the year, uh, collecting the data from everything that happened in the past year, analyzing what happened in the past year, thinking about what's going to happen in the coming year, how we're going to plan for it, how we're going to succeed. I really like having some targets and some goals. Uh, this year we want to be better at X, Y, and Z, and here are the steps we're going to take to do that. Uh, Jill and I uh, celebrate our anniversary in, in January this past week. Um, what a romantic way, right? I always like to have a meal where we strategize about the last year and the year to come. You, Jill loves this, don't you? Yeah, that's great. All right, and I even get my phone out, right? What, what worked in 2023? What didn't work? What are we going to do better in 2024? You know, nothing too intense, right? Just want to make sure we're on the same page and we're working toward the same goals. That's some of what we'll do tonight at the church meeting, right? What worked well last year? What do we want to do better this year? You know, just make sure we're all on the same page. There's kind of an underbelly, though, to this season, these New Year's resolutions. There's kind of an underbelly to this season that I think can be pretty painful and difficult, right? I mean, it's one thing to have some goals for the New Year. I think that's a good idea. But it's another thing to, to hear all these swirling voices and advertisements that are essentially telling you, you've got to change, right? You've got to change this year. You're, you're, not, you're not thin enough. You're not smart enough. Your, your finances are not balanced enough. You're not involved in enough social activities, right? There's so much about your life that was a wreck this past year. You have got to change in 2024. And here are some ways that you can improve. And furthermore, you can buy our products to help you improve, right? Get this new planner, get this new app on your phone, uh, get this new uh, mug so you drink water all day, every day, and you get your water intake up, right? I don't know if you hear those voices this time of the year, but I do. And I just want to tell you, those, those voices may not be entirely healthy or helpful. That's certainly not God's voice telling you that you've got to change and you've got to be radically different to impress God or to impress other people. Today, as we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, we are reminding ourselves that we too have been baptized. Just as Jesus was baptized and God's voice spoke to Jesus, this is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We Christians have been practicing baptism since the very first generations of believers the stories are all across the New Testament. The very first thing Jesus did was baptize, and then as he taught his disciples, he told them to go and baptize other people, and so they did. They told people about Jesus, and they invited them to be baptized, spouses, households, children, slaves. It didn't matter their social economic status, their age. Anyone could come and be baptized and have this new life in Jesus. But it's good, of course, to be reminded of what that means. And so today, the first Sunday of the new year, celebrating Jesus' baptism, we remind ourselves in this room, oh yeah, we're, we're baptized. We're baptized by Jesus, which, which means the, the chaotic waters of life that sometimes seek to, to overwhelm us and, and suffocate us, the chaotic waters of this world, that, that God has the power to calm those. That God has the power to bring structure to our lives and to our world. We've been baptized just like Jesus was baptized. And so we've been, we've been baptized there in the muddy waters. We've confessed our sins and we've been given new life. That this baptism that Jesus received, that we've also received. And, and just as Jesus is, is God's son and beloved, we too are God's children. 
So many of the things that happened in Jesus' baptism are true for us as well. We continue to remember and to celebrate our our baptism as this perfect sign of God's love. That we are accepted, that we're made whole in Jesus Christ, not because of anything we've done or any resolutions we will make this coming year. I want to remind you today as we begin the new year together, and I want to say it so clearly, the most important thing about you, the most significant identity marker you have is that you are a a baptized follower of Jesus Christ. Over and above your resume, your job, your salary, your, your height, your weight, your organizational skills, the number of books you'll read or how much you'll go to the gym, all of that stuff is fine and wonderful, but none of it, none of it matters compared to the fact that you are God's child, that you've been secured in Christ's salvation, in your baptism and in your life. Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.com. May God bless you this week.